and let Mac.com supporting the New Zealand Mac community. Okay, hello and welcome to nzmac.com podcast episode 22, the Macworld Review podcast, I guess. Uh, this is Philip Roy, owner-operator of nzmac.com and I'm online on Skype uh, with four other users of the site who I'm going to introduce now. First of all, we've got David, otherwise known as David NZ, down in Dunedin. G'day, Evening, David. everyone. How's everybody? Good, thank you. Good. Yep. Um, let's jump back up to Wellington. We've got Darren, otherwise known as Loaded Wookie, on the site. G'day, Darren. How are you? Hey, good. How's everyone else? Oh, yep, yeah, good. 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 Um, yeah, we're gonna... I'm, I'm, still, I'm still good. <laughs> okay, jumping uh, back south again, we've got Alan, otherwise known as Gimli, from the site. G'day, Alan. Uh, g'day. How's everybody going? Still good? Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're doing well. And last I'm not as good as the last time, actually. I'm a little off <laughs> now. Yeah. We've got Andrew, uh, who's based in Wellington, I think. That's and, right, yes. And goes by the unusual username of APDV1 on the website. So uh, Andrew's been warned of this because we've uh, been in the podcast before. Uh, hopefully people know a bit about us, but I'm just going to ask Andrew to uh, introduce himself and give us a bit of a background about his Mac experience. Okay, well, uh, APDV1 is my initials, and I'm the first. Uh, I'm the first son in my family, which is where the V1 came from. I thought it was really smart at the time. I, I, it's not. As, it's certainly not as good as as a loaded Wookie. <laughs> <laughs> Long story behind that one. <laughs> well, oh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't digress. But I, I, I'm slightly dyslexic, and I first read it as low end Wookie, which has probably got something to do with being a sound engineer as well. <laughs> Um, my, my Mac experience goes back as far as '94, uh, I think, is when I first started using them on an old Mac Color Classic, which I was house sitting, and the uh, person who owned the house said, "There's a computer. This is how you make a folder. This is how you put things in a folder." And that's essentially how it started for me. I didn't realise it was going to be quite as easy as that. Um, I'm a sound engineer, which is uh, which I've been doing for 20 years this year. I've been going. Um, self-employed. I've run a couple of studios of my own and worked for other people in their studios. Also worked as a live sound engineer and all around the world. Um, the first time I came across a Macintosh in a studio was on a record that I was doing in I think a year later, about 95, where we were using it um, to do sequencing along with audio that was going onto tape and we were using time code to sync it to the tape so it would play in time with it. Uh, I think video people out there would probably know what that means more than everybody else. Um, uh, And I thought then that this is probably going to be the future as far as, as, in terms of recording is concerned, as far as editing and uh, quickness in, you know, being able to get through a lot of the work on computers. I thought this is where it was going to start, and I bought one myself. It was an LC3 which was not great for, or it certainly didn't do audio, but it certainly it did sequencing fine. It really didn't need much in the way of memory. I do remember that that came with the huge amount of a hard drive space of 80 megabytes, um, which I, I, you know, I can't, I can't fathom now, really. It just seems ridiculous. Um, and I used that for a few years, uh, moved uh, uh, I used that in the studio for a few years and bought a PowerBook 150, which was my first laptop to run the actual business that I was, I was uh, running. And I added a modem to it so I could get onto the internet, um, which 
when was, that was it was a long time ago. It was very difficult to get onto, and yeah, yes. And then then my then my business um, ended, and I went and worked into an, in another studio which had a um, a very early Pro Tools setup. We were using Pro Tools three, which was recording into and onto hard drives again, very small hard drives. That was a seventy one hundred. 66 megahertz power Mac with new bus slots in it and running OS 9, which would crash about you know every 30 minutes, I suppose. You had to restart. It was pretty unreliable, but I could certainly see the benefits of recording into a computer with you know, pasting and so on. Um, and then I left studio work for quite a while. I went overseas and I was working on the road and I had an iBook, one of the um, G3 iBooks, which I... As, as, as also as um, also being a sound engineer at the time, doing the live sound, I was tour managing a lot of acts, so I'd use that to um, on the road to um, or to you know to to run the tour, I suppose, uh, for lack of a better term. It was great when wireless came along, being able to get into hotspots and getting onto the internet and broadband and stuff. Um, and I did that for four years, based out of Melbourne in Australia. And when I came back to New Zealand in '95, I got into another studio um, with a. Uh, I got into partnership with another person here in Wellington. We run a, a studio called Trident Sound Studios, and that was entirely hard disk. We have got a tape machine which gets turned on maybe twice a year. It gets more used more as a plug-in these days. We run a couple of G5s. We have a Dual Two and a uh, Dual Two Point Five, running. Um, one of them is running a. HD Pro Tools system, the other one's running an LE Pro Tools system, and I essentially work on Macs all the time. If I'm not using a Macintosh to, you know, take the bookings and do the books and, you know, run the business side of things, then I'm using it to um, to actually do the work. Uh, and myself, I personally have a, I've got a MacBook Pro, which I've had for a couple of years, and I also at home have a Mac Mini underneath my TV, which I use as a um, home theatre, which is uh, another thing that I'm quite interested in. So that's really my history with Macintoshes, I suppose. And have you hacked that uh, Mini at all, or is it you just running it as a standard Mac? I'm running it just as a standard Mac. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't push it. I'm lucky that I've got it dedicated um, to running the TV, so it's I'm not asking it to do other things. I read lots and lots of problems people have with, oh, it can't do this and it won't do that, and I think it's because they're on the internet with it and they're trying to do games and so on and so forth, but... Running it, I'm running ITV in it, and, you know, purely ITV in front row, and it seems to. I won't say it's 100 percent perfect, but it's um, you know, it, it, it's doing okay. And Andrew, you mentioned Pro Tools. What uh, for those people that wouldn't know what Pro Tools is? What is it in terms of the the, the work that you use it for? Pro Tools is a audio uh, recording program, a multi-track recording program. It, uh, it it it. Essentially, is taken over from multi-track tape recorders. I suppose you don't record onto tape really that much these days, unless you've got a lot of money because it's an expensive business. You essentially are recording onto a hard drive, um, and, and the entire project is done in there. It's all edited and mixed and what have you. It, certainly, in our in our place, um, most of the work is done in the box. It's done all in Pro Tools. We've got consoles, and if people. Uh, got the time and wish to they can they can mix outside the box on consoles like it used to be done but that's uh, that's what it's about 
Okay, cool. Thanks very much and welcome. Um, I'd just like to mention at this stage, if any other people listening would like to participate in one of these podcasts, there's a new community section that's set up on the nzmac.com website and there's a specific podcasting group that I've set up and you'll see that there's been a conversation to arrange this meeting. If you're interested in, in participating in a meeting and you're an nzmac.com user, we'd love to have you on board at some point, so feel free to join that group. Okay, we're talking Macworld. Uh, it was the last Macworld for Apple and the Phil Note, as some people are calling it. Uh-huh. Steve Jobs, of course, uh, wasn't there. We're going to go through the uh, four main things that were announced and we're going to go in reverse order, um, I decided. And we're going to start with uh, the DRM-free iTunes. So I wonder if anyone's got any comments to make about that. Dar- Darren, I'm going to pick, pick on you. How about you? Any, any, have you had a go at upgrading your songs or anything like that? Um, I haven't actually upgraded, but on having said that, I have purchased a couple of albums with DRM-free um, but that was obviously before the announcement. Um, I think it's a good thing, but I don't really think that the DRM in the first place was that bad compared to what I've been reading about Windows Media and all that. Um, I think I think ultimately it is a good thing. It'll probably get a few of the countries like Norway and France off, off um, Apple's back, um, even though that it wasn't actually Apple's fault. Um, that they had the DRM in the first place. So I think ultimately it will be a good thing. I mean, definitely the audio quality is a lot better than um, the DRM stuff, so who knows. Yeah, I've um, the first day it was announced, I got home and found I had about $30 worth of upgrading to do, um, which was only 50 songs. <laughs> um, I did do them. Um, and then I noticed they are gradually working through because yesterday there was three more to go and then this morning there was one, so... They're, they're gradually uh, replacing their uh, protected songs, I think. I wondered if anyone's done the maths to figure out what the songs are going to be, because there's going to be three different levels, but I haven't figured out the New Zealand rate for for those songs. Well, that's that's the question that I had, because I, I opened it up as well, like you, Phil, and then I saw, I think I had five tracks waiting to convert. And when you watch the Phil note and you see it, you know, when he announces at the end, there's going to be three price bands um, I started thinking, well, I'm not going to upgrade right away because some of these some of these tracks that I've got to re- ready to convert into iTunes Plus might come in at the lower price point. So maybe there's going to be maybe I pay less in you know two three months than I would be paying right now because some of these tracks are pretty old. In fact, one of them is Lionel Richie. Hey, <laughs> hey, all right. Oh. So yeah. So I think uh, I, I don't know. I, I wondered about that myself too. I mean, I think the three pricing, the three stage pricing scheme, makes a lot of sense to me. That's yield management. That's just basically ensuring that consumer surplus doesn't uh, grow as much as it could um, under a single pricing strategy. So those top forty tracks here in New Zealand are most likely going to be the higher price point. Um, and the older stuff, yeah. uh, like your like your Lionel Richie and and um, Barry Manilow. <laughs> did, did he not say though that, that he he thought a larger percentage of the songs would be at the US sixty nine cent rate than the US one twenty nine? Didn't he didn't he say something about something in the um, uh, in keynote about he reckoned that there was a larger percentage would be at the lower price range than the higher? He he did, but you know I interpret that as hey, of the ten million songs that we have uh, on our servers, 
nine and a half million are going to be cheap, but the most popular 500,000 that have just been uh, released recently are going to be at the high end. I, I, I fully expect new songs to be at the high end. Mm. Lucky I like the older stuff anyway. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would I would suggest too that the higher end stuff will be the major label stuff. You know the the stuff that's that's major label like the, you know the four companies. Yeah. The um, yeah. more independent stuff is probably going to settle into the middle, um, and say you know just as a way of tr- trying to attract more people to buy the stuff. Alan, how about you? Have you um, upgraded? I, I'm- well, I've, I've got three, um, so it's, it's not a biggie for me, but um, I'm, I'm not really going to bother. Most of my music on, on iTunes is uh, ripped from CDs. I've done mo- I'd already done most of mine. I, I don't use the iTunes store to purchase music for myself. My daughters use it more. Um, I haven't actually, she'll have to sign in on her account and I'll have to have a look. She's probably got a, a 50 or 60 odd songs in there that, that could be updated. Um, I don't think I'll bother, but uh, I think it's a good thing having the different um, price structures, definitely because it'll cost her more money and me less for the older music. Um, one thing I've kind of wondered about, with the, with the removal of the DRM, I, I've often wondered whether or not we'd be able to get access to the other countries' stores. Um, I mean, as, as it is, we've basically got whatever they've decided to whack onto the Australian um, servers. But yeah. there's also a lot of music that we don't get a chance to listen to because it's in the States or in UK or France or whatever. So I was hoping that if the D- DRM does get removed, that maybe it'll also open the way for us to access music that we wouldn't normally get to hear. That's probably a little bit too logical, though. I mean, wow. you know, you, you would think it would happen that way, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think they'd, they'd uh, do it. I think you're probably looking at two different issues. One of them is digital yeah. rights and copyright protection, and the other one is is the song allowed to be sold in that country? Is, is you know, I mean, it, it's the same with DVDs. Um, you know. What you may not be aware of is some of the DVDs that you buy have specific documentaries taken out of them because they're not to be shown in New Zealand. So, I was just going to say, with the DVD thing, it's the, 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 some of the materials taken out because the people who are distributing locally won't front up with the money in order to have the whole package. Yeah. Um, you are offered, you're offered everything and then you can have it at this price or this price. Um, I also think it's, it's a release schedule thing as well as far as it's not just DRM, but... You know, an album that's released here on, say, the 1st of January um, is not necessarily released in Australia on the 1st of January. So it's not just DRM. But that's a very interesting uh, thought because that is a lot of what was making it so regional in the first place, isn't it? was the fact that the artist that is signed to one company for the Northern Hemisphere is not signed to the same company in the Southern Hemisphere, which meant that you weren't able to get it um, down here in this part of the world. But that, that's one thing that I've sort of always thought with iTunes. I mean, Apple's controlling the distribution, so technically speaking, you know, I don't see any reason why we couldn't access um, the rest of the world if it's all going through one one thing. I mean, it's it's the labels that sign up to Apple, so, yeah. But then once again, logic. <laughs> I, I think probably that, that, that the um, removal of DRM might see a, a better approach by the record labels. But, I mean, you're right in terms of that technically Apple are the distributor, but in terms of which country gets which song, that, that's not up to Apple at all, I'd say. But, yeah, but, I, I, I would say to the, um, you know, we may get access to the music, but we wouldn't necessarily get access to the uh, iTunes stores in those countries. 
um, simply because the the movies, TV side of things uh, would prevent us from having that sort of access. But hopefully the the bigger range of music would be made available. It would be nice if you could go to the, uh, I don't know if Sweden has an iTunes button, you think, oh, boy, in Euros, that song's cheaper, I might buy it from there. <laughs> well, well yeah, that's, I yeah. think that's another, reason, that's another reason for the, um, you know, the regionalisation of it too, is, is exactly that. That's um, something they said when England came online a long time ago, they were saying, that, oh, you know, if we, if we could go to the England store, it'd be so much cheaper for us to buy, vice versa, I, I can't quite remember, but... I do actually, I think New Zealand works out cheapest anyway of, of the lot. I think UK actually works out to be one of the most expensive. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess the one thing I do like about iTunes and, and is, is that they don't have a, fluctuation, a fluctuating price structure. In other words, you know, you don't go on one day and it's a dollar fifty, and the next day because the dollar's changed, it's five cents more. Mm, um, mm. I, yeah. You know, the price has been static. Okay, it's going to be tiered now in three different levels, but at least those tiers are still going to be static for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. The The interesting thing is I I, I, um, I think it was the Macworld website um, had an article saying, you know, it isn't really DRM-free. You do have to remember that there are still aspects to digital rights management that are included on your Apple. I think you're still going to have to... Um, uh, authorize your computer and all these sorts of things. So um, yeah. it, it's not completely free. Uh, the other interesting thing, I think it was in a podcast that um, they were saying that one of their members uh, at the keynote just turned to the other person and said, Apple caved. And and what they were talking about was that they always felt that Apple wouldn't do this because they were arguing against the record companies, but there is this perception that Apple's given into it. I mean, does anyone want to comment on that? The iTunes Music Store is nothing without the record companies or without the song. So, you know, Apple is really just the conduit saying, hey, we've got this great store. Um, you know, come put your music in our store. And, and it, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. The benefit is entirely Apple's because they get to put their, the, the songs onto their products. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of it's give and take, I think, to a certain extent. Apple have been lucky up until now that um, – well, lucky is probably the wrong word. I, I, and I suppose it's because I'm kind of involved in the business a little bit. The record companies have really dropped the ball as far as the with, with this um, you know, music over the internet. If they'd thought of this idea before Apple, then Apple wouldn't have, had, wouldn't have been able to have a you – know, wouldn't have a look in. So it's you know as time goes on and record companies are realising hey well you know we could we could do this they're they're, they're kind of trying to call more shots but Apple have said no we're going to do it like this we're going to do it like that um, I don't think they caved um, it, it, it's I was as somebody said earlier on it's a better deal having the having the tier system rather than having yeah. you know one everything I think that um, if they've caved the only thing they've caved as such is the price. Tearing, um, basically, but the record labels are the ones that have caved as far as the DRM because they they have um, offered it to all the other music stores as such that are out there, trying yeah. to take Apple's um, strength away. And to my mind, they've effectively failed. They, you know, no, no, okay, Amazon's isn't too bad a, a um, store to to get music from, but none of the others have really made any headway into Apple's you know um, market, and so. They've basically had to, to offer it now to, to Apple as DRM-free, um, and the only thing Apple had to concede is the, the price tiering. So, you know, if, if they've caved, that, that could be it, but I'd, I'd say it's a win-win. 
definitely. The other uh, the other issue is whether or not Apple. This I guess is more related to North America, but what happens if Apple gets offered a song that they are forced to sell at a dollar twenty nine in U.S. currency, and yet the same record label offers it to Amazon for ninety nine cents? And is that kind of thing going to go on? Yeah, I don't think that would happen because. Apple's the biggest player. If they start mucking around with Apple, then Apple could say, well, we're not going to do it. I mean, there was threats that Apple made last year when they said that if the um, artists get more money and the um, music company starts charging more, then they'll pull out. And that's a massive revenue um, gone for the music industry. So I don't think they'd muck around with um, Apple. Um, One thing with the tiered pricing, though, that... Even though Apple may have caved, it still actually works out cheaper than if you went down the store and bought a CD. Um, that's one of the big things for me. I mean, yeah. s- some of the, the like Real Groovy, um, they're quite shocking here in Wellington. Um, you know, they're charging $35 for a CD, mm. um, whereas when Sounds was up and running, they were charging 25 for exactly the same CD. And yet iTunes is seventeen ninety nine for the same CD. So, I mean, cost effective, it, it makes it better to go on um, iTunes and now with a lot of the uh, labels actually just distributing the booklets and things like that um, with it, I mean I, I bought the latest Keen album, $23 and that included videos, I think there was about four videos as well as the digital booklet so it's still working out a, a lot better um, than the CD media. And I, yeah, I, I bought, guess it de- I bought yeah. the CD. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that I, um, if I have to buy an album, I will go and buy the CD. I won't ever buy it off iTunes. Me too. I'll, I'll buy mm, into yeah. individual songs. But the, um, and it was interesting talking to someone at uh, work who's, uh, I think she's about 18 or 19, and she says, oh, I love CDs. I love the booklets. And I, fa- I found it a very sort of ungenerational thing because most people are quite happy to get those things in, in digital media these days. I think a lot of it has to do with the sound quality. I mean, I go back to the old days of records when they were... Yeah, and actually, Andrew, you'd be able to comment on this because most of the CDs manufactured in the last 10 years are mastered very hot so that you get a huge amount of distortion on very high-end hi-fis to the point where they're Mm -hmm. unlistenable. I mean, some of the best reference CDs come from the early to mid-80s, like actually manufactured then. And if I can find a CD that was manufactured then by a band that I like, I will buy it rather than picking up off of iTunes. Andrew, would you agree with that in terms of the quality of the stuff coming off iTunes? Um, I would agree with that. I think the, um, you know, for me personally, uh, one of the highlights of the conference was the fact they doubled the bit rate. Therefore, the sound quality is going to be better, um, which is important with music that it comes out today, which is just pointed out. It's it's mastered so um, horribly, and everyone's trying to make everything louder and everything else so that <laughs> the end product doesn't sound as good as it used to because. Um, Everyone's trying to crush the dynamic range that they have available. Mm, that's right. Um, the dynamic range that was available when you're mastering for records is just far lower. So the Japanese uh, went and invented this thing called a CD, so you had virtually unlimited dynamic range. And then what does everybody do? They just, just compress the crap out of everything so it sounds horrible. In the end, it's just flat and lifeless. And then we say, okay, well, you know, well, let's let's make a little tiny wee file out of it and uh, see what it sounds like. And so you kind of end up listening to music like you're listening down a telephone line to a certain extent. So mm. 
in short, I think the higher bit rate is going to be better for, it's certainly going to be better for the, uh, older music, um, which didn't suffer so much anyway with the, with the lower one, but with the, with the new music, having a higher bit rate means that it, it's some of the artifact effects that, that, that the squishing of the, of the uh, files gives it is going to make it sound better. Might, you know, minuscule, but still, any, anything helps. Which is this one of the things in, in my business, you know, you spend hours and hours on these um, songs and they end up on MySpace. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's, you know, you spend so much time doing this and then all you join it and then in the end, all that anybody does with it is crush the hell out of it and put it on MySpace and it sounds horrible. Which, is, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking a lot of the time. Okay, um, moving backwards as we were up the news items, we're going to have a look at the MacBook Pro now, and I emailed David because I'm not really much of a hardware person. I don't take much notice of these things, and I knew that David had purchased a MacBook Pro recently, so I thought he might have checked out the specs. So could you tell us what was new with the MacBook Pro, David? Yeah, actually, it's because uh, I've got a 15-inch unibody, and this thing has um, probably the one thing that I would really like and probably the one thing I would not really like. And uh, Well, actually, two things I'd really like. First of all, there's an option to get a 2.8 gigahertz spec machine, which has got to be the fastest portable that uh, Apple has ever released. Um, the standard config, I believe, is 2.66 in the 17-inch. Um, sorry, my mistake. You can get a 2.93 is the optional. So we're, we're, we're actually butting up against uh, 3 gigahertz here. But the other thing that this thing has um, that I really like is up to eight hours in battery life. And what yeah. Apple has done is if you watch their keynote, they've, they've uh, much like they've bragged about their unibody process, they've actually kind of re-engineered how the battery is actually manufactured and placed within it. And the problem with that, however, there's probably several problems, but the big one for me is that I don't want to cart around any laptop that's as big as a 17-inch that gives me eight hours. I'd like eight hours in my 15-inch, not eight hours yeah. in my 17-inch. And the other problem is, is that you have to where uh, it's not the battery itself is not user replaceable, and as far as I can tell, nor is the hard drive. But I could be wrong on that. Darren, have you, have you seen anything on that? Um, Whether the hard drive is replaceable or is it totally done by Apple? I mean, how, it comes how's it done in the unibody on your one? Is is yours like? Is there a slot in the battery for the hard drive or? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can take the battery out and then I can pull the hard drive out, swap the hard drive in two oh, minutes. Okay. Yeah. From what I've I seen, I don't of think the, you do that. Nah, from what I've seen of the underside, the only way to do that would be old school: remove the whole um, bottom of the case and then swap it out. Um, so it'll effectively come to someone like us to to come and um, swap it out. But I, I don't think that'd be too much of an issue. Um, looking. De depending on how they've placed the hard drive, I think once you've popped the bottom of the case off, the hard drive should be just there. But um, would that void but, the warranty like it did with the old ones? I mean, the old MacBook Pros. Well, that's it, yeah, it right. will if you, you don't take it into an engineer. <laughs> right. Um, if, if you're trying to do it yourself, then yeah, you're you're going to void your warranty. Um, but I, I haven't seen enough of, of how it's built to actually say yay or nay. But from what I can yeah. see, it looks like the um, you have to undo the the bottom panel to actually get there. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a it's a three hundred and twenty gig hard drive. Uh, but it it depends on what it depends on what the the the, the focus of the market is. I mean, I, I would use this machine if it wasn't so big. I mean, fifteen inches about my limit. Um, but eight hours is pretty sweet. And 320 uh, gigs is a lot of space. 
Alan, and Alan, have you taken a good look at the, the laptop at all? Um, no, I'm pretty much like you, Phil. It, it's, it was the one thing that really didn't interest me. Um, <laughs> I, I've had a 17-inch PowerBook in the past, and, and as much as I enjoyed this, the screen space, uh, it wasn't what I'd call a portable at all, really. Uh, I, I did port it every day to and from work, but uh, it, having 15 inches is sufficient. Andrew, I can't imagine that you'd be using uh, Pro Tools on a laptop out in the field or anything like that. Uh, well, that's where you're wrong, actually. Oh. Uh, one of the great, one of the great benefits of, of, of laptops and, and Pro Tools and, and all of the other programs are there. I've got to use Pro Tools because that's what my experience is in and what I like. Um, in the in the olden days, when I first started doing this, doing field recording um, for uh, when I, it, recording music was quite a difficult prospect in terms of getting a professional finish. But now I can. I, what I'm using tonight to talk to you all is an inbox plugged into my laptop, which is essentially what uh, it's an interface for Pro Tool, but it's a sound card, and I can take that into the field and record anywhere because, of course. With a 17-inch, I can get eight hours of battery life, but I can't. I can't with the 15. But no, we quite often I go to people's houses, um, other places like other halls, just for you know unique-sounding rooms to actually be able to record stuff in. So a 17 would be great, um, just because of the screen real estate, kind of like the 30-inch cinema display is is, is ridiculously huge. Um, you know, everything else. Oh, I was. I was just going to say, I, I would. I would like to have a, 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 that kind of a laptop. But everything that people have had me have said to me so that it's not portable. And you've just somebody just said that right now. It's not a portable device. So I'd be far more inclined to just you know. It's got this. Is, this you know, the MacBook Pro has a um, a DVI slot on it. So just just plug another screen into it if you want more big, a bigger screen. So you know, whilst I, I think I'd like one because just because it's bigger. Yeah, David, the, the, the laptop that you've got, was there an option to get a matte screen or is that a first? I wasn't sure. No, that's a first actually. That's a good point. Good. Thanks for bringing that up because I've forgotten about that. You, you can, uh, one of the things he announced was that for, I think it was 50 US, yeah. what they will do is they will basically take apart your screen and put in a matte screen. Um, so the question now is whether or not did Apple cave? <laughs> Going back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think um, I think the fifty dollars is more more or less just to have that glass panel removed, which I suppose is is kind of a little bit weird because if you're not sticking it in in the first place, you shouldn't really have labour costs. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think if if I'm correct, if I heard correctly. Um, they they said that um, the the matte option is effectively not to have the glass screen. Um, so basically, you end up with a little ridge around the screen, um, whereas on the glass screen, obviously, because the glass covers the whole case, um, you don't have that ridge. Um, but yeah, mm. I, maybe, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe, maybe I um, yeah. So it's not so much build to order as dismantle to order, really, isn't it? Effectively, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll just mention at this point to everyone listening that Alan has signed off. He's having some uh, network connection problems, so he's uh, gone for the night. Um, So it's just the four of us now. Um, Let's move on to uh, iWork with a new keynote, a new pages, and a new numbers. And I know that Darren and David have both downloaded the... uh, demos and have been having a play. I'll also mention that Darren's written a great uh, review of uh, the iWork.com beta 
website, and David shared a keynote file with me this afternoon. So, um, Darren, how are you finding uh, Pages? Um, I love it. It is. Uh, there, there's a lot of features that have been added in there, but not made a big deal of. One of the big features that I've noticed, I only noticed this this morning actually, uh, Pages actually has a word count, um, whereas before it didn't even have a word count at all in the system. Um, so that that's actually a very handy tool um, to have. Um, it's a lot quicker, I've noticed, um, firing up and, and working in, um, which, you know, when you're doing large large documents and things like that, you know, you don't want your system crawling because of, um, you know, how much work you're doing. Um, so I've, I've found pages to be quite good. Uh, numbers is another application in iWork that I use a lot. Um, I probably actually use that more than pages itself. Um and there's just a lot of things that have they've added in there that that make make it so much nicer to work with. Um, the while they don't have pivot tables, they have something called table categories, which apparently does more or less the same thing. So in your document, you can actually sort by say one or two columns, and it just groups everything all all accordingly. Um, and calculations, uh, whereas before it used to be largely text, um, it now uses a box for the cell. So, like, say, uh, if you're doing calculations, say, based on H1 um, plus I1 sort of thing, instead of actually having text called H1 minus I1, uh, it has a box with that label on it so that when you go to delete it, you don't have to delete all the text. You just delete that box, so it makes it a lot easier to, to work with and manipulate. Um, That's quite nice, actually, yeah. Yeah, because one of the things, too, that Numbers did, too, was it would actually, like, if you named the table, um, well, it basically took the first row as all your headers, so your text would actually be the name of the header as opposed to the cell H1 or H2. So there was, if you had to remove that, there was actually quite a lot of text you actually had to remove. Um, so all that's gone, and that makes it just so much easier to to work in. And of course, being numbers, it, it it's a lot better too because you're not working, you know, all that stupid. Well, I think what does it go up to ZZ by ZZ mm. or something. Um, <laughs> so you don't have a whole lot of tables that uh, rows that you're not going to use. So um, yeah, no, I, I quite like the new vision of iWork. I, um, um, hopefully, my copy will be here by Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. And, it's on on shipping now. And the review that you've done for the nzmac.com site, it, um, the 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 publication process to iWork.com, the the beta website, looks mm-hmm. really easy. It is simple click of a button. Um, it, it's just phenomenal. Um, when, once you click that button, as I said in the review, you get what effectively looks like an email screen. Um, so you've got your to and your subject field and then your message and all that. Um, and then as soon as you click um, – oh, sorry, you've also got advanced options. So you can actually say what formats um, that – the document download is going to be available in, so you can basically work with uh, Mac users using iWork or Mac users using Word, uh, Mac user, uh, sorry, Windows users um, using Word. Um, and there's also a PDF 
feature so that um, when you're working on iPhone or something, you can actually read the document from the iPhone using PDF. Um, and, yeah, basically that's all from that one screen. So when you go um, OK, um, it sends an email message off to whoever's in the um, subject field uh, – sorry, in the in the to field, and they can access it however they want. Um, and David, you shared a keynote uh, file with me today in, in these multiple formats. And the thing that I, I flicked back a screenshot to you was that the differences mm. in, in file size was quite impressive. Yeah, apparently with Keynote with 09, what they've done is they've um, they've uh, I guess engineered it such that it's a lot more efficient in terms of the space that it uses. Because I've worked with Keynote files in in teaching that are 80, 90 megabytes in size, just simply because of the images. So if you import, for example, a uh, let's say a one megabyte image into a slide in Keynote, and you actually resize that um, image to make it very, very small, it still retained its size of one megabyte. But apparently in Keynote 09, the it, it, the corresponding size of the file that you've imported will actually shrink with it as you shrink it visually on screen for your Keynote slide. So apparently they've done that, and that I, I think that was evident, Phil, wasn't it? Because the the Keynote 08 version of that what I sent you was three megs, and the Keynote 09 was just one meg, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I have to say I was more amazed that PowerPoint was uh, smaller than both of them. Which was kind of weird. <laughs> it's because the transitions I use are pretty fancy sometimes. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. And of course, they wouldn't have carried across. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the old version was three times as big as the new version. So, what do you yeah. think of Keynote, David? Oh, I love it. I mean, it, Keynote to me, Keynote is just streets ahead of PowerPoint. And I use—I've never used Pages. Um, I use Numbers for for keeping track of our family budget. And I, I still think I use Excel a lot simply because I think Excel is much more powerful than Numbers even still now. Um, but Keynote is, I mean, just as I say, streets ahead of PowerPoint in terms of ease of use functionality. Um, the eye candy is quite slick. And uh, I also tried the little um, the little remote application that you put on your iPod Touch or your iPhone. And that's nice, although I can't see myself using it all the time. In fact, if you look at the Keynote, Phil Schiller isn't even using it. Because um, what you actually have to do is you will, I mean, which, which is quite nice, you have on your iPod Touch, if you're looking at it as you're running your keynote presentation, you'll have a current slide, and then it'll show you the next slide, which is great. Um, but then to advance it on the presentation, you have to swipe your finger. So basically, for a lot of people, you have to hold that iPod Touch or that iPhone in two hands so that you can you know, swipe it across. Um, I figured out how to do it with one finger, but it's a little bit awkward. So I don't think I'll be using uh, that too much, but it certainly was a nice, a nice touch to add by Apple. One thing I did like about that, uh, I, I work for, um, remote or keynote remote, was the fact that um, one of the screens had the the current slide, but it also had your notes. So mm. if you were doing a presentation, you could read your notes, so you didn't have to, um, you know, have paper and all that around. You had all your notes there, and then um, you had this slide there, and then once again you you whacked it with your finger. Um, that. That I thought quite good, but then again, I'm, I'm not a big user of Keynote, so I'd never have use for it. No, in, yeah. a, in a well-set-up conference, you know, they'll have two little wee monitors down by your feet showing you what's up on the screen behind you and, and what mm. your next slide is. And, and to, to have that anywhere with my phone will, will be great. Again, I'm not sure if I would use it because I'd feel a little bit awkward looking down. I'd probably still want to look behind me. Um, the other thing, of course, having a phone, I'd have to make sure I disabled uh, the 
calls and, um, you know, some, imagine someone text messaging me in the middle of a presentation saying, yo, yo what are you up to? Or, yeah. <laughs> I just, I wondered with regard to iWork, and I'll have to go read, I'll go read your review, Darren, but I mean, after playing with it a little bit this afternoon with Phil, I mean, it was pretty limited, granted, but I just, I couldn't help but wonder. I mean, I share a lot of documents with colleagues because I do a lot of writing with various various folks either around the world or here locally. And we use Google Documents or we just pass, you know, Word files, DOC files around via email. And I just, the fact that you can't edit the documents on iWork.com, I, I kind of look at that and I say, well, yeah, it's nice, but I just can't see a real use for it, particularly if they're actually going to start charging for it. In other words, if they don't roll it in with a, a mobile me subscription, for example, I've already got iDisk. So if I need somebody to have a PDF of a uh, of a lecture that I've given. If I can't use the university servers, which I can, but if, if I, for example, I'm overseas, well, then I can put it on my iDisk, and I, I think I'd rather do that, and then I could just go and download it rather than use iWork. I don't know. Yeah, um, the the editing side of it, I don't mind so much. Um, what I what I do have a big issue with is that you can't synchronize it, um, so. The, the way I see that you get around the the lack of an editor is using the comments, which actually to me makes a little bit more sense. Um, but the problem with that, and I, I mentioned it in the review, because there's no syncing, you have to upload another copy of the document. And if you overwrite the document, you lose all your comments. So oh, no. um, it, it gets to be a bit of a pain. If they brought in synchronization so that um, if someone makes a comment – it gets transmitted to the document uh, on your um, that you're currently working in, in pages with. Um, I think that would be quite good, a, a lot better than than um, having to upload a document every time. Because every time you upload the document, you go through that email thing again. Um, so syn- synchronization would be a big thing for me. Um, ah, okay. I thought it but, did that, and that's now that by hearing that, mate, hearing that, I'm just, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I won't be using it. Yeah, yeah ho- hopefully they'll introduce it. I mean, by the look of things, it's going to be sometime within four months, because is it, when you actually publish it, it says that the document will be valid for 120 days. Yeah. So, um, so here's hoping. I, I mean, it is beta, so um, at the moment, yeah, um, you can only um, work with what you've got. True. Um, I, I think there's a lot of potential, and I hope they do either, um, well, hopefully bring in synchronization. Um, but being able to edit online would be good. And if, if they do the editing, I hope that they actually bring in color coding so that you can work out which user changed what and, and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Dar- Darren, you just made a comment then that, I, that uh, I wasn't sure what you meant in your review, and I think I now do. That 120 days, I, I interpreted that as the life of the document as opposed to that's when they're going to go live with this. What do you think? Um, yeah, that, that's kind of a tricky one. It, it seems a bit bit of a dumb idea to have 120 days um, for the life of a document. I mean, sometimes you may have to come back and edit a document, um, even though it's sort of published or something like that. You may have to go back. Uh, I mean, we're at work, we're constantly updating documentation all the time. Um, so having 120 days on a file seems a little bit bit stupid. But then, you know, that once again, that comes down to my interpretation of, of uh, the details that, that are given to me. So it may just be that the documents only last year or um, it may just be because it's free at the moment. 
Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long the beta goes. I mean, you know, mm. the, the running joke about uh, Gmail is that I think it's still in beta <laughs> um, years, yeah, years after it launched. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how long Apple uh, keeps this online service in beta. And, Andrew, are you an iWork user at all? No, um, I've, I've never used it. Uh, I've, I have um, the Microsoft stuff, which I use. Uh, so, and I've never looked at it. My father's done a few, um, let's see, what's the PowerPoint one? Uh, uh, keynote. Keynote. My father's done a few keynote things in there. Um, but I've, I've, no, I've not looked at it at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I work looked interesting for me, but, you know, uh, because of, of, with several people working on the same document, but uh, being able to work on the same document without having to download, you know, new versions and throw out old versions and stuff from email, it looked great, but the, with no synchronization, it doesn't seem like it would be, you know, that different to me no. than, than using something like um, MobileMe yeah. or, or just emailing it backwards and forwards between however many people. I think the more people that there are involved in the particular document, it would probably be more useful. But if it's just going back and forwards between a couple of people, probably not. Yeah, I, I, the the thing for me is, I mean, I've I've always purchased uh, page uh, iWork, but the problem is that the people that I'm dealing with often aren't Mac users, so I tend to work in uh, Word and PowerPoint. And as I think I mentioned in another podcast, what I tend to do is once I've finished my PowerPoint and sent it off to them, I, I tend just to import it into Keynote just to make it look better when I'm presenting. Because the other aspect is I don't get to play around with the look and feel that much because we've got standard templates that we're meant to use for our uh, university presentations. So it looks great. I just don't know how much I'll get to play with it. Actually, that's that's one thing that um, uh, iWork09 does really, really well. Um, I, th- I think I mentioned it in one of the, um, the, the forum posts. Um, when you're saving a document now, there's actually a tick box. So instead of having to go file, export, and all that, um, although that option is still there, when you save the document, there's actually a tick box, and you can actually save it as uh, Word and Excel uh, or PowerPoint um, directly from the save dialog box. So it actually saves a pages version and a um, whatever um, – well, if you're working on pages, it'll save as Word um, and so forth for the rest of the applications. So um, you can do – basically, you can work solely in, in pages um, but still have the ability to uh, easily distribute um, other formats to other users. There'll be a slight pause here while I get out of my seat and yell Yahoo because that, <laughs> that was actually – I've got noted down here, make sure to ask Darren and David about the, the claim because I kept noticing it, can open and save in Word, and I thought, well, is that just exporting again or do they really mean it? Well, it is export, but it's a very, very simpler version of exporting. You don't have to worry about going into all sorts of menus and and, and things like that. When you um, – I think I may even have a document that I've done that with. Um, when you save it um, with the tech box, it saves a copy of it in the same place that you saved um, the pages version. Okay. Um, so, yeah. It's yeah, easier. I, I guess the other thing, the thing I really liked about um, – I think it was numbers that Phil Schiller talked about. You know, he kind of admitted, look, you know, this is version two and and we always improve. And I think that's probably the reality with the iWork.com website. They're still in beta. I, I would 
suggests that they're probably going to bring in new features on the day of their f- going uh, full. And, you know, it, I, I think some of these things you talk about, Darren, like synchronization will probably come in at some point. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, it is beta, and there's, there's a, a feedback page on there which I've um, sent off a couple just to things. So, I mean, you get more people using it and more people um, suggesting features and, and things like that. It, by go live, um, a lot of the features that people are after will be there. Um, but I think synchronization is definitely a big one. Would you yeah. pay for it as a service or would you like it as part of Mobile Me? Um, I, I think what might happen is that um, there might be two versions of it. If, if you don't have a Mobile Me account, then, um, then I, I think there'll be the possibility where iwork.com itself becomes a paid service but if you do have a mobile me account I wouldn't be surprised if they actually roll it into that um, so that those that do have mobile me then maybe the documents get stored in, in say the documents folder and under mobile me uh, which just at, uh, provides a little bit more added value to um, to the mobile me service while at the same time if they they have it available to uh, non mobile me users then um, they can still make a bit of money but either way I, I would be so long as they introduce a lot of the features um, that I've, I've requested I, I'd be more than happy to pay for it it would definitely be a service that I use a lot I wondered if they were um, trying to avoid you know the disaster that was the mother of all rollouts with mobile me and the iPhone and, and everything <laughs> at the time and, and have taken it aside to iron out the bugs and then possibly I quite like your idea saying look if you if you are a mobile me user you'll get this for free yeah um the the mobile me thing i, I think uh, i was reading i think it was roughly drafted where they they were basically saying that um one of the issues they had with mobile me was that they were trying to take on too much at the same time um whereas i think they've learned from mobile me and they're slowly introducing features they're, they're working on it they're getting more people using the system uh, in a beta form so that they, by the time GoLive comes around, iWork will be a rock-solid um, product. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see once GoLive comes around, see what happens. But um, yeah. Yeah. Da- David, we talked about Mobile Me in one of the podcasts, and I said I was giving up on it. I, I think the thing that um, surprised me the most was I think I got three, possibly four emails saying, you know, are you really sure? You're really sure it's about to expire. And then one saying, you know, it, it's expiring next week. And then I got another one saying your mobile me is expired, but it's not too late to come back. <laughs> That's right. Please come back, yeah. Phil. Please come back. Parking tickets are like that too. <laughs> Taxes as well. So, David, would you, you – I assume that you'd probably only make use of it then if it, if it was part of mobile me? Yeah, I actually, I, I actually like what Darren. I'm hoping it's exactly what happens, what Darren's outlined. And if it does become part of mobile me, then I, I still can't see myself using it that much. I think just because the other tools are are a little bit more pervasive in kind of the workflows that I have with colleagues around the world. So I think, you know, the fact that we use Google Documents quite a bit. Um, well, not quite a bit, but we use it anyway. Um, I don't think that's going to get replaced anytime soon. I, I just don't see it now. Um, who knows? I mean, if it if it becomes a, an amazing product that is, um, you know, that, that crosses crosses platforms and people in Windows start using it as well, well, then maybe you never know. It could could very well do that. 
Okay, thank you. Um, moving on to iLife, there's a number of applications here to talk about, and so I'm going to start with the one that, that interested me the most, and that was iPhoto, and specifically Faces, which just looked incredible. And I've decided that when I finally get iPhoto, I'm going to do something really stupid. I'm going to get images of uh, lots of gorgeous Hollywood hunks and drop them into iPhoto and uh, give them names, you know, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and so on. And I'm going to see what iPhoto does. And if it goes through my photos and says, you know, is this Brad Pitt or is this George <laughs> Clooney? <laughs> Just to see how brilliant it is or if it really says, you know, get over it, Phil. You, 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 you don't look anything like them. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm really fascinated to see how good this uh, Faces technology uh, is going to be, but I, I just think it looks incredible. And in terms of uh, organising um, iPhoto in different ways and, and making a book for that person and all these sorts of things, I just thought it looked really impressive. Mm. Um, Darren, what... I thought we might start off by going through and sort of singling out one application to start off with. So iPhoto would be it for me. What about for you, Darren? Yeah, it's kind of a <laughs> tricky one. Um, I know what you're all expecting me to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, in terms of iPhoto, I was quite intrigued with that because I was wondering, there's a lot of potential for that technology. And I... I was thinking about it the other day um, with the facial recognition and all that. that I, I think that would be the start of a new way of, of organising data for for Apple. Um, I, I was thinking uh, using that sort of technology mixed in with um, uh, Finder. Uh, sorry, not Finder, Spotlight. Because um, I, I understand that Spotlight has... Uh, uh, to a lesser extent, a similar technology where um, you can actually search for, say, words within an image. Um, and I, I, was, I was thinking the same thing might happen with um, with the technology behind faces. You could use that technology to basically do a search for anything, um, really. So I, I photo intrigued me a lot. But I, I think one of the big applications for me, because I do a lot of video work, uh, is definitely going to be iMovie. Um, the, what they were showing with iMovie with the image stabilization features and things like that, that's, that just blew me away, uh, what they were able to achieve with that. Um, and, of course, um, you know, all, all the other things, but the ability to work with audio on a track level um, like it did in 06. Um, so I think they've... Bar the timeline, of course, they've they've merged in a lot of iMovie 06's features, but made them a lot better, made them a lot easier to use. So uh, I was quite impressed with iMovie. Yeah, the thing I noticed, though, um, that they skipped over, and, and you made a comment in the um, forums about it, was with the um, image stabilisation, is that there is actually, uh, I, I mean, I think you were saying it was non-destructive, but there is a rendering process that has to occur before you can use those clips. And, they, of course, they didn't show you that because... Um, I heard one of the podcasts say they went and saw a demonstration and it takes some time. Uh, it goes goes through frame by frame to analyse it and stabilise it and it sort of caches, if you like, a complete version of that video clip that you can then add into your movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't, obviously we haven't seen any... Uh, any real world stuff because we haven't been at Keynote, uh, sorry, at, um, at Macworld, and um, iLife isn't going to be released till the end of the month. Um, 
It'll be interesting to see how they do it. I, I don't know if they'll cache it. That seems like a, a quite a lot of data um, to to actually do that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it just as you're importing it, it um, processes it while you're doing it, so that you've actually got a version that you can work all that sort of thing in. Because um, I, I don't think it'll be a feature that people would want to turn off. Um, you'd want your video to be as clear as you could get. So um, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but I know it's – because I, I do kind of um, – like I, I got a lot of like wakeboarding video and things like that where we're on a boat. Um, so even the best image stabilization can't get rid of that. So it'll be interesting to see how that um, that pans out. Hmm. Andrew, what sort of appealed to you in the iLife package? Um, the iPhoto uh, is something that I use. Um, having children and taking photos of children growing up, I was interested to. I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how the facial recognition works as kids get older and faces change. Um, you know, it, it, it's in the camera that I've got. You know, in, it, invariably when you take a shot in the, you know, the, the just the standard digital camera I've got, it, it hones in on the face. So I must be using something similar to that. But I was interested to know. Well, I'd be interested to know how it handles somebody who is four years old today, but you know, in, is ten years old and fifteen years old, and their face changes, and how that's going to—it'll deal with that. That's something that I thought of. I also like the idea of geotagging as well, and knowing where you took the photos um, and when, and uh, which that, that's been quite good to me as well. I'm not a huge photographer. I like the idea. The, the garage band, I like the lessons thing. I thought that was quite a, a step in a, you know, in a, a, a positive direction considering that you seem to have to have a, this, you know, the, 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 the talent quota, uh, quota is not huge anymore in order to become a um, major recording uh, artist. <laughs> so teaching people to play real instruments is, is a good step using a program like that. That's something I agree with because I'm I'm currently trying to learn guitar and as soon as I saw that I thought man thank uh, thankfully someone's actually thought about that because um like I got all the books and all that but it, it gets to the point where you know all you're doing is you're just repeating stuff that's that's printed on a page it's not getting you to think um, and I think that's one thing that the garage band stuff is is quite good on and, and especially too when you start rolling in Sting and um, all those guys too showing you how to play their songs that would be quite interesting Exactly it's, and when you can see it being done as opposed to trying to work it out for yourself like looking mm. at scripts on a page it's easier so where do I put my fingers and you know same with piano as well how do yeah. I hold hands and so on if you can actually see somebody doing it um, whether it's whether it's um, somebody famous or not, uh, it, it, you know, as long as it's somebody who knows what they're doing, is, mm. is probably a better point. You know, having the, having the, um, the successful musicians in there is a way of bringing people into it. But so long as the you know you being taught right the correct technique is probably the more important thing. I mean, anyway, that's something, that's something that I thought was that was that was quite good. I, I the things like the the features and I movie kind of went over my head a bit. They look fantastic. Um, and I can only relate them back to the audio, the way things would, you know, the similar sorts of things in audio and being able to take something that didn't necessarily work fantastically on the day and being able to repair it, you know, like with the image stabilisation. And uh, what was the other one that I thought was quite good in the, uh, oh, the, you know, the, the thing where he was able to bring the actual, the action he was shooting, it was something like, um, it was some animal that you couldn't see and he slowed it down and all of a sudden it just oh, popped yeah. out. 
Mm. Yeah. That's, that's quite good. And being able to, okay, well, that's what I meant to actually shop, but because I'm not particularly good at this, <laughs> you know, you can actually sort of repair something that's not, that didn't work in the field and is never going to happen again. So long as it works the way that it, you know, the way that it looks like it's going to work. Yeah, I think the important thing with GarageBand, um, my interpretation, having now watched the entire keynote, is that it comes with the sort of tutorials on how to play the guitar and piano and so on, and I think they appear to be included. And then you can go off and purchase these additional ones. I mean, Sting's not going to teach you how to begin playing the guitar. He's going to teach you one of his songs. And I noticed Sting's going to teach you how to play a song, yeah. yeah. And, and mm. I noticed um, the thing I really liked, I can't remember who the artists were, but um, um, Nora Jones or somebody said, I'm going to teach you an easy version of one yep. of my songs, which I thought was a brilliant idea. David, what uh, appealed to you? I want to learn how to play the banjo. No, I mean, I think I think I, I agree. The, the the iMovie stuff looks pretty switch. I mean, I I, quite, I I can see myself wasting a lot of time in that with the pictures of our movies of our daughter. Um, I think with I was almost ready in the past couple of weeks to buy a new camera, and now that I've seen with the geotagging potential, I'm now I'm kind of looking around. Where I haven't spent a lot of time yet, but I'm going to be in the market for um, not an SLR, but not a. Um, not a point and shoot, but kind of in that medium range, that like a Canon G9 or G10 that actually has a built-in GPS receiver so that I can get those latitude and longitude coordinates because to me that's really, really sexy. I quite like that. So iPhoto I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, one thing I will say, David, um, iBanjo is a iPod and iPhone app, so I'm playing the banjo all the time on my uh, iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's free. It's just one of those completely ridiculous applications you can Hang download. Hang on, I'm for, downloading that right now. iBanjo, it's called? iBanjo. Uh, banjo. Uh, Does it you, teach you dueling guitars? Uh, it teaches you the song, but it doesn't really teach you. You just you sit there tapping the screen and try to pretend. It only teach you half of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is outstanding. <laughs> I, I, in 1991, this is a true story, in 1991 I recorded a How to Play Banjo uh, cassette, which is what it was at the time, where we recorded a whole lot of um, the music and then the instructions and how to do it as well. And I had to, and this is one of the great things about uh, computers. I had to edit it together by cutting tape, which today it took me a day and a half to edit together maybe a 10-minute lesson or a 15-minute lesson, whereas today I could probably do it in about an hour. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the difference between tape and between, uh, between a, and a computer. But yeah, I, I recorded it. I didn't take any notice of what the guy was doing. It all looked very complicated to me. The thing that I, really upsets me about the whole iLife package is in the middle of last year, I imported um, a video that a friend sat in a car with me driving around London, going to all the schools that I had uh, taught at. Uh, this was on VHS. I imported it in the middle of last year. I got all my um, photos from all my trips overseas uh, scanned and put on as slideshows, and I kept sitting there thinking, if only I had a way of having a globe that would uh, show the places that I've travelled to. And if only, mm, yeah. if only this car ride wasn't as bumpy as that, and of course, burnt it onto a lovely dual-layered uh, DVD, trashed all the, the, the files off my Mac and thought, this is brilliant, I'm really happy with this. And now, of course, the new version, image stabilisation, it's got that really cool globe that you can use uh, in slideshows and in uh, the DVD and so on. It's, it, it's just got some really nice little wee features in there. Mm. That, that would be quite interesting because um, 
before I, I mentioned that we were doing wakeboarding, the wakeboarding video is um, sitting on a VHS tape. It'd be interesting to see whether or not. Um, that technology picks it up if you're using, if you import it, say, like I, I got a Miglia TV box. Um, if if you import it to, say, an MP4 video, it'll be interesting to see whether or not it can work with that. I don't see any reason why it couldn't. Um, but yeah, it'll just be interesting to see yeah. whether or not you can actually import the old stuff and still use all that technology that's in iMovie. Yeah. Um, just before I came online, um, just to let people know who are listening, if you want to know what's new in iWork and iLife, and if you're in a hurry, I'd suggest you go to the Apple Store online because when you uh, click on either iWork or iLife, it gives you a really good list of everything that's new in all the applications, so it saves you hunting around quite a bit. And I did that because, of course, the things that weren't really talked about was iWeb and iDVD. Now, mm iDVD doesn't really appear to have changed much. They've brought in a few animated menus and custom menus. Uh, there's something there about the slideshow that suggests it's changed a little bit. But the thing that interested me with iWeb um, is that they've brought in the ability to F- FTP to any site. Uh, so publishing is easier. And it also looks like the ability to uh, bring in RSS feeds from other websites is going to be easier as well. Because you use, Darren, you use iWeb quite a bit, don't you? I use iWeb all the time for my website. I, I mean, I've played around with others like Coda and iWeb and, ah, uh, sorry, uh, what is it, Flux and Sandvox and all that. Um, I mean, I had a review of them all, but um, I just keep coming back to iWeb. It's just so nice to use. It's like using a word processor. Um, the Yeah, the, the addition of the wood... Um, the other widgets like RSS and all that, I think that's a, a great thing. Um, uh, the integration with Facebook, I, I just joined up Facebook just because that feature was there and it ends up that I've got um, quite a few friends now um, within a couple of days of use. But one thing that interested me was um, the templates. It, I don't know if you can actually save the templates, but it, it seems like you have that ability to actually make uh templates of your own, um, which I think is a good good thing. It, it's one thing that um, many people have been asking for. Um, so, yeah, but um, it would be interesting to see. I, I'd love that. – that's the one app that I really want to get my hands on as well is, is iWeb because um, I use it just so much. Yeah, they, 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 it's, a, it's a shame they didn't say so much about it, but um, the, the, the FTP ability, and um, for those listening, that means that you wouldn't have the, – the options at the moment are either to um, publish directly to your mobile me or .mac account or publish to a folder and then upload to a website mm. unless you get some third-party applications. And, and speaking of that, that, that's the other thing that, that – I've been surprised about there hasn't been this sort of uproar that Apple is stealing the the limelight from third-party developers this time because even things such as a Keynote Remote, there is a Keynote Remote um, piece of software on the um, iTunes store already uh, that's hideously expensive, but no one seems to have uh, criticised them for just bringing in these new features because most of them are fairly obvious, really. That, that is a good point. Um, I, I think it's gotten to the point where the only people that can actually sort of really bring the full potential of the um, the Mac out is is getting to be Apple. I'm, I mean, you just look at. I've made a um, couple of comments on on the on the um, in the forums that 
the iLife and iWeb, uh, sorry, iWork packages at the moment are just showing that full potential of what Leopard's capable of. I, we haven't seen that in a lot of apps. I mean, there's some that have used certain features of, of it, um, but you know, it's basically taken Apple to bring out all these these applications to show what Leopard really is truly capable of. Um, but yeah, it's some of them. Like I, I got an app, application on on my iPhone that's a remote for um, all sorts of um, apps, including Front Row, which is one thing that Apple hasn't released. Um, but it, it just very unMac like to use for for one a better term. It's almost like a Windows developer has decided that that's how they're going to control a Mac. You know, it, some some of the apps just don't make a lot of sense in terms of usability. Yeah. D- David, are you an uh, iWeb or iDVD user at all? No. In fact, I don't think I've used either of them. Um, I probably should use iDVD to make some DVDs of the kid to send back to Canada to friends and family. But um, I just, I've just i been uploading all my videos to Vimeo in the last couple of months, the uh, last four or five months, actually. So I've, I've got no... I just don't see when I would actually be using iDVD, and I wonder what kind of changes they'll actually even make to it. Yeah, the other thing I noticed um, with iPhoto, I thought the slideshows were ph- phenomenal, and then he, he just yeah. he, he just mentioned that you can export out to the iPhone, so I'm assuming that you can export out to things like iMovie or onto a, a DVD or something as well. Yeah, that could be that could be quite slick. And if you can export everything to a a, a move file, a flash file, or even um, an SWF, that would be even even nicer. Right. Well, we might do a wrap up now. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, um, if you've got a application that you're um, really interested in at the moment, or a website that you're quite keen on, um, one thing I did want to mention, I would suggest people going to the Macworld site and having a read of uh, the Macalopes summary of Macworld. Uh, he comes up with a great line, which I, I won't use because this is a, a family show. Uh, it, it's not too bad, but it's uh, – in fact, I might read it because I think it's absolutely hilarious. He um, He's talking about the keynote, and he's saying that, well, of course it wasn't going to be this amazing keynote because that wouldn't be a good way for Apple to end because uh, if it had have been a really brilliant keynote, we'd all sit here saying, for goodness sake, Apple have to come back next year. So he use, he sums it up brilliantly in one sentence, and he's talking about breakup sex. Breakup sex might be hot, but it probably shouldn't be if you really want to stay broken up. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite nice. And I just thought it was a really nice way for for people to sort of realise that you know things have changed. It's the end of uh, Apple keynotes. There's a lot of rumours already starting about Apple attending CES, which I think are a little bit silly. Yeah, that um, doesn't make sense. No, uh, because their, their justification for not going to Macworld is all about the, the timing in the year. So they're not going to turn around and go to something running at exactly the same time and start making big announcements. I think that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I, I've always agreed that... Um, you throw in the Apple stores in the mix, all of which have screens. So you go to an Apple store during Macworld anyway, and they're, they're streaming the um, the uh, keynote there anyway. Um, Apple's got um, – I mean, you look at the big um, announcements that Apple made last year, and none of them were at Macworld. They were at, the, uh, at their own campus um, with special invitations, you know, the unibody uh, MacBooks, the iPhone 3G and all that. Um, really the big uh, um, big sh- 
show that they they do concentrate on has been Worldwide Developer Conference. And I think that's really the show that makes more sense for Apple to invest in because it allows them to show what technologies are going to be in, in Mac OS um, 10 and and so forth and get the developers in on the scene. But the product release, I don't know, just concentrating on one event on a year just sort of doesn't really make sense. So um, I, I think they, I think the keynote. Getting rid of the keynote is actually makes more sense. Certainly, from a financial perspective, um, they're not having to pay ludicrous amounts of money just to have a, sh- uh, a stand and a, a keynote and all that. But yeah. Yeah. I, I like the fact that he ended on. I mean, he began his speech by saying, "You know, because this is Mac World, everything today is going to be about the Mac," which I thought was very apt, really. Um, to not mention the iPhone too much or the iPod, I thought was actually a good thing for him to do. So I, mm. I quite enjoyed it. I mean, it's sad to see that it, as, as I listened to a podcast today, they said it's the end of an era, but then again, there are lots of errors with Apple, and um, let's move on to the next one. Mm. And I, I actually quite like that Phil did the last one. I mean, Phil's been at a lot of Macworlds. Um, he's also introduced a lot of new products along with Steve Jobs. So I think using Phil was good, and, and I thought Phil did a very good job with mm. it. Um, I I don't have any complaints about um, about him doing the the keynote and yeah. Hmm. Yep. Okay. So our picks uh, for this podcast. I'm going to start with mine because it's the application that we're all using right now to talk. It's Skype. They've brought out a new beta, uh, which I'm using, but I haven't had a play with yet. Um, they've brought out desktop sharing, which is a nice new feature. And I read the press release really quickly, but I have a feeling that for once in quite some time, it is a Mac-only feature, first of all, and that they're going to bring it to Windows uh, later on. So that's a nice feature with Skype. The other thing I did want to point people to, if you go to the nzmac.com um, forum, there's been a bit of a discussion uh, in a thread called Update Junkie, and there's a couple of uh, really cool applications there. One I use and one someone else pointed out, uh, I think called AppFresh, which is really good for checking to see if your uh, software is up to date or if anything is available. So that's mm. my, my picks. I'm going to ask David if he's got a application or a website. Yeah, that was that was. I was going to use Skype as well because I'm running the beta, um, but I've got a backup because I figured I I wouldn't be the only one. <laughs> um, mine is the, the the backup I've got is um, it's an application called Things, and it's basically a task organizer. And and um, oh, yeah. there's a huge there's a huge amount of press these days about you know this whole getting things done kind of philosophy, and you can use this application for that, but it's also a lot more. Uh, I guess I'd call it malleable. In other words, you can kind of uh, use it how you would like. So I, I don't adopt the the GTD or getting things done philosophy, but I use it for trapping, tra- sorry, tracking projects and specific tasks that have to be done in reminders and that kind of thing. It has an application that works on the iPhone, uh, a, a companion application that works on the iPhone and the iPod Touch as well. So that's quite nice. Things is um, it's fifty dollars US, so it's not exactly cheap. And the App Store, or the the one for your iPhone or your iPod Touch, I think is thirteen dollars, which is also not that cheap. Now I've I've been using it in beta for several months, and I've quite I've, I've come to quite like it. So I probably will be purchasing it, but. Um, and, and it look, does look quite nice. So it's called Things, and it's at um, culturedcode.com. Great. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, Andrew, do you have a web or application pick for us? 
I've got a few applications that I've written down here, things that I use uh, and find very handy. The first one would be the ITV. Um, a lot of people seem to have problems with it. Uh, I, I don't know about this country, but I, I read the forum um, you know, several times a week, and it seems to be no one ever saying how great it is. Always, it's always bitching about how it's not always working. But I think it's pretty fantastic for, um, you know, for what it is. When it, when I first got it, which was a year ago, we were just about to launch, or New Zealand was just about to launch the HD Freeview service. Um, and when it when it did launch, you could only get the TV and Z channels on there. They very quickly got their. Um, uh, they, they very quickly got it together, and and, and and you've been able to watch all of the all of the freeview channels through their boxes quite successfully for oh, last six months, nine months by now. So Sorry? you're talking uh, ITV as an E Y E, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's a piece of hardware, is it? With a piece of uh, software. So it's software and hardware. They, right. they have boxes that you can. There's a um, a USB stick that will go into the side of your computer, or there's a, a little box that has a um, uh, it's an MPEG-2 decoder in it, which uh, is only good here now for uh, if you're converting videotape or if you're you know converting analog signal. So, the, the, but the digital side of it is all it's done. It's all being decoded by your actual computer, so it depends on how fast your computer is. Yeah, and, and you they need to be pretty quick. You purchase that from Sorry? a local. You purchase that from a local reseller. I did. I, I got that from Magnumac, I think. I okay. can't quite remember now. I, yeah, I got the whole package. That's right. I bought the mini and the and the, and the stick at the same time. Cool. Um, I've got a couple of others, if that's if that's all right. Yes. One password, which was, one password, which was mentioned in the last podcast, which I just would you know throw a vote in for that because it's fantastic. Um, uh, Drop Copy, which is a, a fantastic little application which you can install on all of your computers around the place. I've got several here at home, and I've also got the at work, um, which gives you the ability to be able to shuffle files backwards and forwards between computers without having to put in usernames and passwords. It's just a little hole that appears on the um, on the desktop, and you just basically drag whatever it is you want to go to another computer, uh, drag it in there, and it just sends it over there without having to do any of that um, hmm. you know, username and password thing, which is fantastic when we've got two uh, control rooms in our um, studios being able to pass audio backwards and forwards between the two of them. It's just great without having to go through that sort of thing. Uh, Blue Phone Elite is another one that I use all the time, which is a way of uh, talking to cell phones on your computer. You can send and receive text messages through there. You can Apparently, you can uh, use it as a, uh, a headset. Your Mac is a headset as well, although I've never managed to make it work with my phone. But for text messaging, it's great. You don't have to even remember to get your phone out. It just shows up on your screen when, when a text shows up and you can reply from it right from your screen. And the other one which I find fantastic is a thing called iCal Viewer, which is basically your appointments in your iCalendar um, imposed on your desktop. So they're there all the time, and, it, and it, they, they move across your screen week by week. You've got a timeline on either the right or the left-hand side, and it just moves across your screen, so you can always see what's coming up, what you're supposed to be doing. Um, unfortunately, I, I can't tell you who makes these things because I didn't go into it that far. I just wrote down a, a few of the applications I use all the time. That's all right. That's, that's, that's what Google's for. Um, <laughs> the, the, just going through those again, it's Drop yep. Copy. Um, Drop Copy, yep, which uh, works not only uh, between Macs, but there's also a, a, a phone, iPhone and iPod Touch version as well, which gets things backwards and forwards between those two you don't devices. Mean, you, you don't mean Dropbox, do you? No, I don't. No. Um, it, it's called Drop Copy. 
Okay, mm. because I, I, I'll mention a competitor called Dropbox, which does exactly the same thing. So, um, and again, mm, it's, it, yeah. it's got an iPhone one, so I use that. So they sound very much uh, of a muchness by the sounds of things. Okay, it's it's yeah, it's essentially so you don't have to write your username and passwords, and it's just going between two devices that you've said are okay to talk to each other. That sort mm. of thing is that, is that what yes, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, I've just, just got a, I've just got a Dropbox folder sitting on every machine I use. Yeah, well, I mean, this is similar. It's, 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 it's just a hole, you know. It's a hole that appears in my, um, you know, in the wallpaper. You can put it wherever it is that you like it, and you just, yeah, it's like sending things down a pipe, I suppose. Oh, oh so when, you, when you're saying, you're not saying, you're not just calling it a hole, you mean it physically looks like a hole that you it drop things into? It physically looks like a hole. It's like, it almost looks like an eclipse, if you if you know what I mean, uh, with the sun behind the moon. It's that kind of a look on your uh, on your desktop. Righty, okay. And Blue Phone Elite? Was Blue that? Phone Elite is made by a company called Mirror, uh, Mirror M-I-R-A, software. Um, and that's uh, for every every Bluetooth phone that I, you can imagine, with the exception of the iPhone. Um yep. They, they, it doesn't work with the iPhone for some reason. Okay, well worth checking out though. And the last it's one was iCal Viewer. Did you say iCal Viewer? Okay, that sounds great. Um, Darren, um, yeah, I got a couple apps. Uh, Mac Gourmet is one that I use a lot. Um, I love to cook. Uh, I think it's in my blood. My granddad and all that was a chef, um, and sort of basically raised up. Um, cooking and all that so um mac gourmet is basically a recipe catalog um mm. it's real nice interface um I, I mean i suppose there's probably not a lot you can actually say about a, a recipe index but um yeah for, for me it's one i use a lot i mean i, I was um over the break of, of new year i was staying at mum and dad's place and i basically um rated their recipe collection and um added a few recipes and all that and it, it's quite good um, I, it, it can also upload up to their website so you can share your recipes online. Um, it'll make a, um, uh, a web page that you can export to, to your mobile me account um, or FTP account and um, so you can share your, web, um, your recipes online uh, via that way as well. Um, the other app I, would u- I use a lot is iTalk on the iPhone. Uh, basically, it's just a voice recorder. It's written by Griffin. Um, mm. uh, I've had a lot of experience with iTalk uh, with the uh, with my um, 60 gig iPod. Um, on the on the 60 gig, it, it's actually a physical device, but because the iPhone's already got a microphone and all that built in. Um, you can actually uh, – it's basically just software. Um, it works on iPod Touch, although with the Touch you need a um, a powered microphone to be able to use that. Uh, with the iPhone, it can use the either the um, uh, the microphone that comes with your headphones or um, the, the actual external microphone, the one that you'd use for speakerphone and all that. Does, does um, it work with the first-generation iPod Touches? Uh, I believe it. Um, no, I don't think it. I think it has to be a second generation iPod Touch because um, I, I don't think the first one had the ability to uh, plug a microphone into it. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure the specs list iPod Touch too. Um, but the okay. iPhone, I think it works with first gen iPhone. 
Yeah, the, the, I've got iTalk installed, and there's actually, if you go onto iTunes and look for iTalk in the category that it fits into, there, there are a number of these sorts of applications for note-taking. Some of them are hideously mm. expensive, and some of them are free, so there's quite a variety there that uh, are useful. I, I quite like some of the features of almost every one of them that I've downloaded. Mm. The, the other one I used um, in terms of... Um, uh, microphone recording was um, one called EcoNote Pro. Um, the free version was a little bit useless. Um, I don't think you had the ability to actually save to your Mac. Um, but one, one of the things I quite liked about um, EcoNote is that um, you just needed to set up your Mac with the internal FTP server and it would actually upload your notes through FTP, whereas the likes of... Um, uh, iTalk, you actually have to download a an application um, called iTalk Sync, um, which uh, basically just allows you th- going through Wi-Fi. It um, synchronizes to a directory of your choosing. Um, but yeah, the, I, I tend to prefer iTalk. I've just had more experience with iTalk than than all the other ones, and I, I kind of trust Griffin in, in that respect. So. Um, yeah, I did, and I got in when it was free. So um. yeah, I, I um, I'm using iTalk the most of the lot as well. I think it's quite a good application as well. Um, mm. And I too got in when it was free. I think it's now got a price on it from memory. Yeah, if you get there, there's the free version, there's the premium version. I think I think the version that we the free version that we have now is is a. Um, uh, basically an ad-supported one um, and the premium one basically from what I can gather just removes all the ads so the free version works just as great yeah. Okay guys, thanks very much I think we're probably going to wrap it up there I can hear the rain starting to patter on the roof and I think that means <laughs> it's about to get very loud here um, <laughs> I, Alan who disconnected in the middle of the uh, discussion uh, just popped back online to put his apologies in um, but uh, it was great to have him on board and it was great to have uh, Darren and Andrew and David here today as well. Just to mention again that if you are interested in taking part in one of these podcast uh, discussions, you're more than welcome to uh, go to the community section of nzmac.com, find the podcast group and then ask to join it. Then I get a little wee message and we'll, we'll do another one of these at some point fairly soon. So thanks very, thanks very much, guys. Okay. Thank you, Phil. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest presenter and do not necessarily represent those of NZMAC.com.